In 2018, the Wealth Standard Podcast broke down the year into three seasons, each focusing on a principle from the inspired works of philosopher John Locke, specifically his philosophy on life, liberty, and property. In 2019, we progressed from principle to the ideal environment for building wealth and achieving prosperity. The theme was laissez-faire capitalism. For season two, it continues. The theme is entrepreneurship and intrapreneurship and how you apply the principles and environment to the individual. The guests ranging from economists to entrepreneurs to political influencers, authors, and more will teach you how to take your life to the next level. Now, on to the next episode. Hey, I have the pleasure of being with Susan Haskins and Dan Pressure. It's so awesome to have you guys on. I appreciate you taking the time. I understand you just came back from a pretty tropical place into the Midwest. So, right. you know, it's amazing. Assuming you guys are from Omaha, Nebraska. I'm born and raised in Omaha. Susan only raised her son here. So not from around here, really. No, but enough years. I moved here when I was 21. So I guess I'm basically a, a Nebraskan by yeah. now. If Warren Buffett calls it home, you know. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Exactly. Well, cool. Well, as far as your accolades and your history and what you've done, it's incredible that you've had this extensive career doing what you do and writing about what you write about. And I'm really excited to have this interview. So let's just start out with those rapid fire questions just so we can kind of get, get an idea of who you, guys, who you guys are and what you're about. So the first one is before your professional life, who was a, a role model to you, someone that you looked up to or inspired you? You take it. <laughs> <laughs> before my professional life, well, I can tell you, that strong, independent women have always been my role models. Before my professional career, I would have to say those teachers that I had back in high school, I had a history teacher in Middletown, New Jersey, that really taught me how to write, which is what I've done all of my life, and taught me to love history and travel, which has taken me far. So I would say she was probably one of my most important role models, as well as some of the language teachers I had, which has also been a great thing to have been able to actually use, you know, the States is a place where we don't often speak two languages, but to be able to have that kind of background has been a really good thing. Yeah. And I guess for me, it was probably Jimi Hendrix or Joe Paz, two guys who dedicated their lives to learning their instruments and took that field of knowledge as far as anybody has ever taken it. I'm not a good guitar player myself. I'm a barely passable musician, but those guys were masters. And I like the idea of mastery. I like the idea of dedication and mastery. And those guys mastered something really cool. The principle of mastery, and especially seeing masters and experiencing masters, there's nothing like it. Yeah. All right, so second from Rapid Fire. So what superhero, fiction or nonfiction, or icon in history do you most resonate with? Do you have a superhero? Well, my superhero right now is Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and I hope that she keeps going and keeps working, which it looks like she is going to keep working until the day she drops dead, which is probably what I will do too. So a living superhero for me. Yeah. And mine, historical and superhero and comic book, you name it, he's been it all, is probably the historical Buddha. I'm fascinated by his life. 
There's been a lot of work done lately to peel back those layers of religiosity that got layered onto his life. And his original life and original message is just compelling for me and informs everything. There's nothing that it doesn't apply to for me when I think about it. So that would be Gautama. All right. The third one, what charitable causes do you guys support? My favorite is an organization called Helping Kids in Ecuador. We lived in Ecuador for many years and got to participate in some of their fundraisers and hear them talk. And I've followed the work that they have done. And I will probably tear up when I talk about it because they are changing kids' lives, kids who cannot afford simple life-changing surgeries, eye surgeries, cleft lip and cleft palate surgeries that make a tremendous amount of difference. And these families can't afford it. And this organization is helping them pay for these surgeries. So that's my favorite charity. Yeah, I'm with her. The volunteer opportunities for expats who move abroad, we've lived in that society, that demographic, that milieu for almost two decades now. You can volunteer for anything, but volunteering on the ground where you're at to help the kids that live in that community. Or the elderly. Or or the elderly, just to help the community. There is no end to the opportunities to do that. So whatever helps a local community is. It's amazing. Just the idea of contribution and charity, there's giving money but then there's actually the activity and the experience of it, which I think there's a a stark contrast. Yeah, it takes organization. It takes time. Just money is not, that's fine. They need money. But the time, the organization, the effort, the cooperation, making it happen, that's the value of it, really. That's amazing. Okay, and then final one. There was one attribute that you could impress on your kids, your grandkids, the world, this audience, what would that attribute be? Well, tolerance, first of all. You know, I think one of the things that we have seen in our travels is that we all want the same things. Everybody, no matter where you live, no matter what religion you are, you want your kids to be healthy, happy, and you want a safe place to live. So for me, to be tolerant of other people and to understand that similarity is probably the most important thing. The other thing that I've always impressed upon our kids is to be debt-free, if you can, to not have credit card debt and all of that stuff, and just simply be a good person. Yeah. Um, I would only add to that curiosity in the sense of ongoing curiosity. If you get to the point where you think you've got it all figured out and you're just running on your biases, you're missing most of what's going on in the world. And I think that's one of the great things about the expat lifestyle that we've been living. You have to be curious all the time to figure things out. Everything is kind of a challenge. Everything takes a little bit of -of out-of-the-box thinking. And that keeps you young. It keeps you going all the time. If you figure you've got it all figured out and you're just resting on your loyals, laurels, you're done. You stop. Not going to go far. Yeah. It's amazing how complementary those two attributes are, right? Because tolerance, right, is really stepping back and trying to see another way of looking at things. Because there's only one way of looking at things. But curious is also curiosity behind looking at something different can be a, a huge window to opportunity, to learning, to growth. It's, ama- it's amazing. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys for answering those questions. The reason why we ask them is really to give the topic at hand some some context, where you guys are coming from. And I think this is going to be really intriguing. So the reason why I wanted to have you guys on is because you, International Living has been around for about 40 years now, correct? 
Yeah, right, 40, exactly 40 years. 40 years this year. It's an opportunity because, you know, the tagline of your book, which is how to live well in $25,000 a year, right? And plus, I know you have a new book. The idea, though, is, you know, really that there are lifestyles that people can live in their retirement those years that are actually possible, okay? Because if we look at just the typical retirement planning today, it's very inadequate for the lifestyle people want to live. People are getting really stressed out about it. So the atypical way of approaching the future, right? This is a perfect example. So would you guys speak to what your mission has been, what you've been trying to communicate to people better part of, you know, 41 years in regards to the opportunities that exist internationally for people to live out golden years or maybe even before. I mean, I I know there's a lot going on with the millennial generation, even next generation where they're going international, living international, and it's evolving too. Over the course of 40 years, I can imagine that your guys' experience being on the front lines has been motivating and inspiring because I think it's more acceptable now than it was 40 years ago. Absolutely. And I think that's the biggest change. You're right. When international living started, the demographic was people who wanted to make fixed incomes go as far as possible. That was kind of the old style retirement. Got my pension, got my social security. I want to live the life I want to live. How do I make that fit my lifestyle requirements? And the answer was just to move to a place where things cost less and the weather is better. You skip the heating bills. You skip the air conditioning bills. You pay lower property tax. You may get free medical care with a national health service. It's kind of like lifestyle arbitrage. If you can suddenly move someplace where your cost of living is cut in half or more, it doubles the value of your resources. And for 40 years, that's kind of been the message. There are dozens and dozens of places around the world that are happy, healthy, safe places to live that cost less. That's not such a novel idea anymore. I mean, the internet has changed everything. You can talk to people in real time who are doing that in Panama City, Mexico City, in Belize, in Malaysia, Malaysia, Chiang Mai, you name it. There are people around the world who are doing exactly that. And we talk to them every day. We've been living that life. So that was the value proposition when we first started out. And now it applies to more people than ever. It applies to people with families. It applies to young singles. It applies to single females who are past retirement age, but want to have the adventure that they always wanted to have. All of those people can find a benefit in that kind of lifestyle. So what questions been like over the years in regards to that atypical way of thinking? Because I'm assuming some have been the same, but they've probably changed over the years. What are those questions from your audience and readers like? The big question is often, is it safe? Yeah, I think that's the biggest concern. People always want to feel that they will be safe in the place that they live, as I alluded to earlier. And It's kind of human nature to be content with the devil you know. Even if statistically yeah. the place where you're living is not that safe compared to other places, you know it and you feel better. There's a comfort zone there. So moving abroad is a lot about moving out of your comfort zone and being comfortable with that, being comfortable with being challenged having that adventure. So is it safe is a question we can easily answer. Yes, it is. We wouldn't write about places that we didn't feel were safe, that we wouldn't feel comfortable if our mothers came to visit us or our grandkids. That is not an issue. And I think more and more people have been traveling in our generation and the generations that follow just with modern technology. 
as many people weren't traveling 40 years ago as they are today. A lot of people are comfortable with the idea of at least exploring living overseas. But it comes with a lot of intimidation, I think. They think that maybe it's not as easy as we make it sound. And maybe it's just in our personal nature where we never been uncomfortable. We've lived in, what, seven different communities in four different countries over the last 20 years. So we're very comfortable with picking up stakes and moving on. Not everybody is. People are creatures of habit, like, like Dan said. That's a great point to make, too. Moving abroad at any time in life is not something that most people will do. Most people stay right where they are, and that's fine. If you're happy there, if you're comfortable there, if it has everything you need, if you don't want to go anywhere, that's great. And even if you try an international lifestyle, if you move somewhere and find out it's not for you, you're the wiser for it. It's not a pass-fail thing. You learn from it, you take your experiences, you go back home and you carry on and you're smarter. So I think the safety factor, the will I be comfortable factor, will I be welcome in this community is always a big question. People want to know that they're going to be able to find their tribe of like-minded people, that they won't feel lonely. That's one of the biggest saddest things in the world right now is the lonely feeling that a lot of people have, especially when they retire right here in the United States. People are treated a little bit differently in many of these countries where we write about. The elderly are looked up to and revered for their life experiences. So being included in community events and having people put you at the front of the line in banks and hospitals, et cetera, et cetera, is not something you're necessarily used to if you live in the U.S., but you are when you go overseas. And many of these places now have growing expat communities. And the expats who live in these places are, tend to be welcoming gregarious people and they welcome you in. You don't have to worry about sort of being the wallflower. or the, Even if you're a, not a type A person, personality, you will still find plenty of things to do. We like to say that your social calendar will be much fuller when you live overseas than it likely will be if you stay where you are. What are some common things you see people do? What's something that they would have to do, go from this desire to have, you know, a degree of certainty associated with those years, with being in the same community, having stability as far as knowing who friend groups are, knowing where income is coming from, knowing that income can actually stretch to support the lifestyle. What are some things that people do to go from that state to this new belief that, wow, international living, living somewhere else, right, where I have a social group, there is that appreciation, there's opportunities to serve, there's opportunities to live in a, a nice, warm weather, beautiful location. What are some things that they do consistently that gets them to actually make the shift? Well, research, for one thing, you know, the internet has changed everything. It allows us to find out Anything instantaneously, you can, via Facebook groups, you can actually meet people living in these different communities that we talk about. So it's, it's not the scary thing that it used to be. There are books like ours that people can read about. You can come to a conference that International Living hosts in five or six places around the world every year. You can meet those like-minded people and sort of get your support group. You can assemble a support group before you even think about moving abroad. And even if you never move abroad, those people will still be your friends. They'll be Facebook friends. They'll be online friends. But the internet has changed everything in that respect. 
And the other thing is just to get boots on the ground and give it a try. As we say, if you get to a place like Cotacachi or Cordoba or any place that you might want to try out, and you find out that you don't feel right there, that's something you know immediately. You get a gut feeling. If you do get that warm glow and you meet the people there, you start to participate in the activities, we recommend spending as long a period as you can on that first trip to find out what it's like to actually live there instead of just being a tourist. Because if you, if you need to find out where you can get your mail, how to hook up your utilities, whether or not the local bank will accept a direct deposit of your social security check, those are things that will make a difference in your quality of life once you move there. That's what you need to find out. So this might be off-the-wall question or, or statements. What I've experienced, and I haven't experienced it personally, but it's experiencing it through you know, the, the relationships that I have. When a person goes from their working years until they get into retirement years, there's a change as far as the meaning they have right, for themselves and what they do. Because when you look at a career, whether a person likes it or not, they're making a difference, right? There's meaning there. They're contributing, right? And they're paid for it, right? So they're creating some sort of value. And then going, right, to these years where they're not doing that anymore, right? People seek, are seeking meaning. And that's why they move to retirement communities or they, you know, go on service missions or they do something else. What are opportunities for, that you've seen, examples of what you've seen, where a person's able to take their skill set that they established over a 30, 40 year career and move abroad and then actually do something to continue uh, finding meaning, growing, contributing and, and so forth. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think just about, I mean, just there are people who want to retire and do it primarily move overseas for financial reasons. And, you know, they may end up doing the exact same things they would do if they stayed at home, for instance, you know, they like to watch their movies or et cetera, et cetera, stay home and cook. But by and large, I think that people who move overseas, retire overseas in the first place, have an adventuresome spirit that, and they get together, they travel, they go and explore new places, they go to little villages, they end up seeing a need that a local community has, as we were talking about earlier. We've seen people start animal rescue missions. We've seen them start soup kitchens to feed the elderly in a community, teach kids English so that they'll be able to work in a tourism industry in their own country or go abroad. English is the universal business language, of course. So they're really giving these little children in a remote village somewhere an opportunity that they might not otherwise have. We've seen people start businesses. They see niches that need to be filled in their community. One friend of mine started a business where she makes aprons and potholders, et cetera, and she hires the local women as seamstresses, so she's been able to give them jobs. And her stuff is now in museums all over the world. She's from Mexico, and her stuff is very Mexican-flared and it's being sold in these fabulous museums all over the world. And she's making a huge difference. But we have story after story <laughs> like that of just people who are just finding things, whether it's something they're doing that they never thought they would do, paddling down the Amazon or something, or they're starting these cottage industries. That yeah. It's kind of a two-edged sword. And, and you're right. People who 
uh, have worked particular skill set all their lives and decide to retire, often decide to retire because that job may have defined them as a person and it may have paid the bills, but it didn't satisfy their curiosity about life. They want to go out and find out something new. There's a big world out there. On the other hand, people may be so happy and so well-defined by what they do that they take that job with them. And the internet has changed all of that. If you want to work from abroad, there's almost nothing you can't offer online. If you have a valuable skill set that another person won't pay you for, you can do that from anywhere on the planet. There's an internet connection. Do you guys teach about that and talk about that in in your publishing business? Yes, International Living has a couple of free email letters, and one of them is called Fund Your Life Daily. So with that, there's all kinds of ideas shared about how to make a living overseas, whether it's on the internet or in a bricks and mortar business or in a consulting role or something like that. But yeah, we have all sorts of things that we're seeing. Again, 40 years ago, people were just kind of retiring over the overseas now. They're becoming younger and younger when they do that. There's digital nomads. There's ways to make a living when you're anywhere in the world, like Dan said. So we have all kinds of little niche avenues and rivers in in international living that can help people no matter what they're looking for. There's an article that came out in November and it talked about the, there's this really interesting dynamic with longevity and life expectancies. In the U.S., life expectancies are actually going down. At the same time, they should be going up okay, based on the understanding of health and principles of longevity. But what they see is among teens, millennials, you know, there's drug abuse, prescription medication abuse, and suicide. Then also there's interesting statistics in regards to longevity when a person stops working and contributing that life expectancy actually does go down. That's what's, what I find really fascinating about the idea of international living is it offers a different environment, but it's an environment that creates that spice of life. It creates all these you know, different experiences that are possible with a, a peer group, but it also provides opportunities to continue to provide value, give value, which, which brings a ton of meaning. And that's where I look at it from practical standpoint, you have the financial side of things. You have how far your dollar can go or your money can go, the lifestyle that you, but it goes way, way beyond that. Mm-hmm. But that's just my opinion in my, in my perspective, based on information I've gathered. Would you speak maybe to that and how been an evolution over the 40 years, as far as why a person will go international? 40 years ago, retirement was a different thing. I mean, if you made it to 65 in your chosen profession, you were used up you were done. If you were manual labor, if you were a farmer, if you worked in a plant, almost anything you did by the time you were 65, 40 years ago, would have sapped your valuable years. Now people live a decade, two decades, three decades past what traditional retirement is actually structured for. And they got to figure out what to do with that time. I mean, if you're going to live another 30 years, you can't sit in a rocking chair. You can't play golf for 30 years. You've got to do something. And the people that discover moving abroad are kind of selected to be the kind of people that know there's more out there that no matter what I decide to do, if I decide to do nothing, just live on my social security. If I decide to do it in Chiang Mai, or if I decide to do it in Cuenca, Ecuador, my life is going to be a lot more interesting and a lot more challenging. I'm going to have to wake up and open my eyes 
just to make sure that I know where to go to get a cross-headed screw or the right plumbing fixture or to get 500 thread count sheets if that's what I want. I'm going to have to figure those things out. That keeps you young. That keeps you going in our experience. And you can make a social security payment that you qualify for at 65 or 67 or 70, go another 20 years in the right place with the right economy. But you got to find something to do while you're there. Life abroad kind of gives you something to do. It makes you pay attention. That's We've seen it time and time and time again. People move abroad and their blood pressure goes down. Their weight goes down. Their eyes brighten up. They start learning the local language. They acquire another skill or two or three. They move to another place. They don't just move to Cuenca and quit. They move to Cuenca and figure, oh, uh, maybe uh, Ekbalam is a nice place. Mm -hmm. And we know somebody who made that move. It keeps them young and it keeps them going. A lot of people do tell us that they feel healthier once they move overseas. And it's not like there's the fountain of youth or some magic potion or anything. But most people tend to move to a place where the climate is more suitable, where they can be outside in the fresh air every day, day in, day out. They walk more. A lot of the folks that we know who are retiring overseas give up their car because they live in a walkable community. That's another one of the things about the United States is you have to have a car to get from one place to another. And in many of these places around the world, communities are set up to be walking communities. You might have a little tienda next door, right down the street where you go to get your eggs and your bread, etc. And you carry it home with you. You don't need a car. People just tend to be more active and healthier overall, get more vitamin D naturally and fruits and vegetables aren't carted in from halfway around the world. They're grown right there and pulled out of the ground that morning or the day before and sold in the farmer's market. So you're eating healthier and you're just more active and you just tend to have a more uh, sort of engaging lifestyle, I think, healthier. Maybe as we kind of conclude, this has been fascinating and I'm so grateful for your time and, and your insight into this. I would say just huge opportunity, which obviously has been around for a long time. But again, it's this day and age, there's so many benefits that can come from education that you're providing. This is something that's on my mind. Like, What are you guys focused on right now? Like, What are some of the topics, the themes? It sounds like you just came from a conference that you, that you held. What are some of the, the focuses now, themes, things you're, you're consistently seeing that you think would be important for the audience? Well, we're going through something that a lot of retirees are going through. We're not technically retired. We're still happily working and will until we drop. We'll probably die in the harness. But We'll be really old when that happens. We'll be really old when that happens. And we've got grandkids and family stuff going. And I think we, we mentioned earlier, being a part-time expat is now a much more viable option than it used to be. If you want to come back and be with family and friends, if you've got grandkids whose lives you want to be a part of, if you want to try several different places and keep a home base. The aerobing retiree. The aerobing retiree, a serial relocator, we call them. That's something that's completely possible. It used to be that once you got to 65 or 67, you got your social security, you found that place where you could live cheap, you went and laid in the hammock, and you had your five or six great years, and that was it. But there are two or three different life stages after that now. So finding ways to do that, to change, to go with the flow, those are huge topics for us right now and huge topics for the people that we deal with. Another trend I think we're seeing is that 
a lot of people aren't coming back. They are aging for the rest, staying for the rest of their lives in some of these places where they've made their homes. And again, I think that the world is just sort of moving forward a pace right now where assisted living centers that they did not have in Mexico, in Costa Rica, in Panama, in some of these countries are now becoming the vanguard. And we know people who are being able to, when the time comes for them, transition into an assisted living center that is a fraction of the cost here in the state. So they're, they're choosing not to come back. I guess the point is there are just so many options out there that makes sense depending on your personal wish list. And that raises a great point. In the United States, we're not really big. We're huge on quality of life, but we're not big on quality of death. It's something we don't address. And there are expats living lives out there now who have fought ahead to the end of their own lives and how they want to do it and how they want to manage it. And it is more doable and more manageable in some of the countries that we've lived in than it is in the United States, no doubt. I know that there are report after report that talk about just how much money is spent in the last just couple of months of a person's life just to, to hold on. I look at, again, it's the, you know, it's the experience of life and the meaning that comes from that is what I, what I believe people are after. And that's where my wife is from Mexico and we spend a lot of time down there, but we've also been privileged just to, to travel the, the world. And although I, I love where I, I live, I can appreciate it as different than other places, but I love other places too. And I just think that it's been interesting to see how, how much travel has changed over the course of, of four years. Because I didn't go anywhere. I mean, I went to the Outer Banks and the Poconos when I was you know, growing up, uh, dr- driving, right? Now it's like people are used to going to Europe and, and to South America and to Mexico. And, and I look at retirement and how much pioneers like yourselves have helped to develop the support system and the information of how to, to do it the right way so that it's not an experiment, right? It's an experience. Right. There are plenty of people who have done it, and there's plenty of information out there for anybody who wants to do it. So it's talk about ways in which the audience can engage with you guys. The, the newsletters you're writing, the, the events that you're putting on. Like, what's the best way to connect with you? Because the internet has changed everything, we're we become an internet-based business at internationalliving.com. Almost everything we produce is available. It's kind of a, a one-stop shop. It's broad and deep. So once you get in there. You can pick a specific country to research. You can pick earning money after retirement. You can you can look about up healthcare healthcare options, visa options. So the place to start the research, as with almost everything right now, as people who are watching this right now know, is the internet. Start at internationalliving.com and work out from there. If you still need hard copy, we've still got hard copy for you, but it's all available online. Right. Right. And we have two books, just to plug our books. We have two books that we've written on the subject of of moving, retiring overseas. They're available at amazon.com from International Living. And the last one is at liveretcherspendless.com. You can see what the book's all about. And if it interests you, pick up a copy. Yeah, we'll make all those links available on the show notes as well as uh, the blog. So uh, yeah, we'll make sure that they reach out because it's just one of those topics that I think people are aware of, but because of your history, it's like in a centralized location, you could probably find 99.9% of it. And we also, 
work, the conferences that we have, five conferences a year, possibly six, those conferences are listed on the website as well. And it's a great way to get boots on the ground. You just want to try it. You just want to see what it's like and talk to some like-minded people. It's a great way to do it. Right. You can come to a conference and then usually there are some tours offered before and after the conference if you want to go out and see the area, meet some of the expats, see what kind of housing options might be available to you. These conferences are another great way to sort of find your tribe and see if a place is for you. That's awesome. Well, guys, this has been a great interview. I appreciate what you've done and we're going to get the, the word out. Obviously, I have this podcast, but there's another group that I'm involved with that I believe that this would be applicable to. Because, Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, it's Thank you very much. one of those topics that to me, it's common sense, right? But common sense is no longer common, it seems like. And so that's where I look at with how things have evolved and how safe things are and how, how much money can be stretched in different environments. It's just, a, it's amazing. It gives people hope, but it's, there's just those few like psychological hurdles they need to get over. <laughs> but right. you guys have tackled that. Right. You need to break out. You need to have a sense of adventure. You need to realize that it's not jumping off a cliff. It's a learning experience. And even if it doesn't work out the way you planned it, very little works out the way you planned it. Life is what happens while you're busy making plans. So you'll just be better for it. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you again for your wisdom and we'll make sure we get the word out. Beauty. Thank you. Thank you very much. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Standard Podcast. Be sure to visit the show's official website, thewealthstandard.com for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Guest opinions are their own. If you require specific investing, financial, legal, tax, or any other specialized advice, please consult an appropriate professional. We welcome and appreciate reviews of the show. Head on over to iTunes or Stitcher to leave your review. And don't forget to subscribe to the show to get access to every new episode and exclusive interviews this season. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time.